Amen. Well, it's good to see you, Gospel City Church. Go ahead and have a seat. And uh, I want to welcome you here today. It's so great to sing with you, to worship with you. My name is Micah Klutnati. If you don't know me, uh, I've been the worship pastor here for the last 12 years, but I haven't been here for about the last 12 weeks. And so I've missed you and uh, I'm excited to be back. And uh, I realized that there were about 104 of you in the recent Welcome Home class, our membership class. Can we just give the Lord a hand for that and maybe welcome some of the new people here? I assume that there's more than 104 of you that I haven't yet met. And so I just want to say thanks so much for being here and for joining us today. And if you're joining us from home or because you're traveling, thanks for prioritizing the word of God today. But go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 11 through 16 today, but we'll kind of be all over the book of Ephesians a little bit. As you're turning there, I was brought up to speed. I understand that we've been in a series called We Are Family, and we're talking about Christ's called out ones, the ecclesia, the church, the truth that uh, this building is not the church. You are the church. This building is not special at all. It's just a building. And yet what makes it special is the people of God who carry the spirit of God gathering to glorify God in one place. We've also been talking about church membership, how it's important to belong and be known within a local body of believers. And uh, you're hearing on August 29th, we're going to remember the church. Hopefully that doesn't freak you out or anything. Hopefully you're like, yo, this is a place that I love. This is a place where I want to use my gift. This is a place where I feel like I can glorify God and grow up into God. And so I'm ready to sign on the dotted line. I don't know what, exactly what we're going to do on August 29th, but we'll figure it out. And uh, we've also in this series been confronting the idea of isolated individualistic Christianity the myth that I can have Jesus, but I don't really need the bride of Jesus, or I can stay disconnected and isolated in my faith and consume content all the time and still have everything that God desires for me. And the truth is our faith was never meant to grow and bloom in isolation. Let me just share with you briefly from our time on sabbatical. So we had uh, some time as a family to rest away from ministry away from the church and we were very grateful for that and so blessed by the elders and pastors sending us to do that. I try to go all in to whatever I feel like I'm called to and so I went all in to resting in the Lord. So I got off social media and I was de detached from all those distractions and I was plugging into my family and I was reading books for personal growth and I was writing in my journal my thoughts and hopes and dreams and prayers every day and those things were devotionally great for me. Those things were very worshipful. Those things were restful. But about halfway through our time, I remember having a conversation with my wife at our house. And it was something that we had probably talked about a bunch already. And we looked at each other and she said these words to me. I don't think we were made to think about ourselves this much. She said, we need to get back to serving and loving others. And uh, obviously we were serving and loving each other, but we didn't, as a family, we don't want to just serve one another, each other. We want to get back to serving one another. We love being known in a local body of believers where we can serve you, you can serve us, and we start to grow up together in the faith. And uh, uh, we certainly visited some other churches. We were even deeply ministered to by the worship times and some other pastors and leaders, and, and yet at best, we were only able to be worshipers, a part of the global church. At worst, 
We were just simply spectators, not known, unable to give, unable to participate, unable to serve with our gifts in a local body where we were known, where we were loved. And so we missed you. And yet today we're going to talk about those kind of very things. Today we're going to see just how important unity in the church is to God and how important church unity is to each of our growth in Christ Jesus as disciples. We want to be disciples who glorify, gather, grow, and go. But today we'll see that our togetherness is vital for our growth in Christ Jesus. When the church gets unity, God gets the glory. Our unique spiritual gifts are maximized and we grow up into spiritual maturity. And so before we dig into kind of all that Ephesians is, let's just kind of anchor ourselves in 11 through 16. And I'm going to read and allow God's word to speak to us today. So get your eyes on a copy of God's word, starting in verse 11. Now hear the word of the Lord. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word for us today. And uh, we're gonna talk about how the church is built up, how growth is possible and how your presence and your participation makes growth possible, not just for you individually, but for us collectively. Now, the book of Ephesians is a really rich book. Uh, it follows the same kind of pattern that most of Paul's letters do. He often starts his letters with a bunch of theology and deep doctrine. And then he tells us how we should apply that doctrine and theology to our lives. So he often starts with the wealth in Christ, and then he moves on to the work that comes with following Jesus Christ. So chapters one through three of Ephesians are full of this rich and deep doctrine and theology surrounding our salvation. And then chapters four through six are how we as believers apply that theology to our lives. One through three deals with the riches in Christ and four through six deal with the responsibility in Christ. You're being saved to something. And in chapter four, as Paul begins the new section in Ephesians describing the why for all of the theology he just poured out regarding Christ saving us, we see that he goes into this long section talking about unity. So verses 11 through 16 that we'll talk about today, they deal with the how and the what for building up the church. But let's answer this question. Why is unity so important? Why is unity so important? Why would Paul talk about unity after pouring out the theology of our salvation? And I think when I read Ephesians 1 through 3, it's easy to get caught up on me. 
It's easy to get caught up on individualism. It's easy to say, man, I think God saved me so that I could spend eternity with him. I think God saved me so that I wouldn't have to go to hell. I think God saved me so that I could bring him glory. And if that was all that God did, it'd be a pretty awesome thing. But we wouldn't need all of Ephesians 1 through 3. As Paul continues the book of Ephesians, we see the glorious unfolding that God's plan to glorify himself is not through the salvation of individuals, but through the saving, uniting, and building up of a Christ-like body. The goal of redemptive history and the end game of all creation is unity. Hear that. It's unity. That's what Paul's talking about. Christ uniting all things to himself. Look at Ephesians 1, verse 9 through 10. Paul says this, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose. So God has a will, God has a purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. And this is what it is, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So when you hear the word unity, when I hear the word unity, we often think about getting along with one another, being kind to one another, finding tolerance and common ground with one another. That is so important in the body of Christ. We need that at Gospel City Church. But this is so much deeper than that. Paul is saying that God is building something and what he is building takes many pieces or many parts, but it is the most glorious expression of his grace in all the world. Like many stones comprise a beautiful architecture. Like many parts make up the human body. God is interested in glorifying himself through the saving, uniting, and building up of the church. And when that's happening, we can echo with Paul, as he says in Ephesians 3 verse 21, to him be glory in the church. God gets the most glory through unity because a Christ-like community is so much more glorious than a Christ-like individual. A Christ-like community is so much more glorious than just a Christ-like individual. This unity comes through the building up of the church into one body with Christ as the head and the building up of the church happens as we do the work of the ministry that we'll see today. So as we start diving into chapter four, point number one is this. God provides uniquely gifted individuals to feed and lead the body. God provides uniquely gifted individuals to feed and lead the body. We're gonna look at verse 11 in just a moment, but before we do that, I think it's important to recognize that every member of the body of Christ has a unique gift. If you're here today, you have a unique spiritual gift and you are a vital part of the body of Christ and you are very necessary here at Gospel City Church. We're necessary for each other. Let's look in verses four through eight of Ephesians chapter four. It says this, there is one body and one spirit. So in other places in scripture, God describes the church as branches or a family. Here he describes it as a body. Think of a human body. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So God's uniting all things together in heaven and on earth. 
But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Okay, so there's these gifts. And look what it says in verse 8. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. These are not slaves against their will. These were bond servants. These were followers of Jesus. And it says this, he gave gifts to men. God has given you a gift, not just salvation, but a unique and specific gift for edifying and building up the body of believers. It's so important here at Gospel City Church. Uh, In verse 11, or sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, you are a vital piece of the puzzle and you are an important part of the body. A body has many members, doesn't it? But an arm detached from the body is not so great or a leg detached from the body, that's not so great. Or an eyeball, as fascinating as it is, a detached from the body is sort of like this gross glump of goo. And so you see how as God has assembled a body, a human body to work together, as he's put it all together to edify itself, God is building a church and he describes it as a body. Now let's move to verse 11. In verse 11, we see Paul mentioning the gifts of specific individuals who have been called to handle the word of God on behalf of the body of Christ. All gifts are vital, but some gifts are given for handling the word of God. Of God, And that's where Paul goes in verse 11. And so this list that he gives us in verse 11, it's meant to be historically sequential. Uh, it started somewhere and it's still continuing today. So let's read it. Verse 11 says that he gave us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers. So Jesus ascended into heaven. He beat death. He gave us, he told us that a new Heaven is coming, a new kingdom is coming. And as he ascended to heaven, he appointed for himself the apostles. Let's talk about these guys. These were unique men called by God, gifted to cast out demons, to heal the sick, and to teach the gospel. The apostles were divinely appointed representatives. The apostles gave witness to the resurrection. Therefore, they had to have seen Christ risen from the dead. So Jesus, he had 12 apostles. And uh, at some point, Matthias replaced Judas. And at one point, Paul was on the road to Damascus and Jesus appears to him and radically transforms his life. And Jesus appoints him as an apostle to the Gentiles. So Jesus had some specific people for getting his message out into the world. And because they had seen Christ risen from the dead, they could then go and proclaim that Christ was risen from the dead and that you should follow him, you should repent and believe. Okay, so these were, their, their ministry was authenticated by the supernatural miracles that the Lord empowered them to do. They go in, they heal the sick, they cast out demons. People are like, who are these guys? And then they proclaim the message of the gospel and people start to follow Jesus. Now, in the New Testament, capital A sense, there are no more apostles today. If somebody comes up to you and like, I'm an apostle from the Lord, you should probably be a little bit skeptical, okay? Probably not an apostle from the Lord in the sense that this is talking about. But let's move on. So it says he gave us the apostles, then he gave us the prophets. These were men identified by the church to preach the apostles' message and doctrine. Now get this, pre-scripture. So the apostles, they're beginning to make followers of Jesus 
But the churches, the people who were following, who were gathering in homes, they didn't have Bibles like you and I have Bibles today. So when we hear the word prophet, we often associate it with predictions of the future, but that's not um, the primary function of a prophet. A New Testament prophet was someone who preached the word and they did it before the people had the word in their hands. Those possessing the gift of prophecy in the early church were both students of the apostles' teachings and supernatural recipients of the Holy Spirit, sharing with them the words of God for the edification, the encouragement, and the consolation of the church. So the apostles and the prophets, they were foundational to the faith that we know today. We don't really need prophets pre-scripture anymore. We don't need prophets telling us what God has said because God has written it down for us and preserved it all these years later. And so we're not looking for a new revelation from someone. We have all the revelation of God that we need in his word. And so as disciples of Jesus, we look to his word, we memorize his word, and we are transformed by his word this side of heaven. But it goes on. It says that he gave us the evangelists. These people are still with us. These were bearers of good news sent out with the gospel. You could see how it would work, right? Like the apostles started preaching the good news. People were getting saved. And then God gave prophets to continue to preach that truth generationally. And at some point, the Bible started getting written down. And there were people who were affected by the gospel who were like, I'm so fired up about this that I need to take it to the other side of the world. And so evangelists started happening. The evangelists are today's church planters and missionaries. Those who live sent by calling. These are folks who are taking the gospel elsewhere and all over. And you know that we're all called at some level as Christians to do the work of an evangelist. We should all be doing that in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. And yet there's some people who are uniquely called by God to go into places and get the gospel there. And then it says that God gave shepherds and teachers. That's kind of one category. These people care for the church and the flock of God. These are your pastors. These are elders. These are those who care for and nurture your souls and those who rightly divide and teach the word of God. Now, as I was studying verse 11, I couldn't help but think about Pastor Trent, okay? So he shared some news last week. I'm sure there's a whole range of emotions in the room as to the news that he shared that, that God is calling Pastor Trent and Miss Andrea elsewhere, that God's leading them to Florida with family life. And, and um, all week long, I've seen a lot of comments. I've seen, heard a lot of uh, stories of your thanks to Pastor Trent and Andrea for their faithfulness. Let's keep that up. That's so great. Pastor Trent has been a wonderful example to all of us of a shepherd teacher called to Gospel City Church. Uh, nurturing our souls, rightly dividing the word of truth among us. Um, for some of you, hearing Pastor Trent preach, it was the first time that you ever heard the gospel in a clear and bold and concise way, and it changed your life. And for all of us, uh, we could probably honestly attest that, man, the, the, the truth that came out of Pastor Trent's mouth because he opened the word of God has made us more worshipful in our relationship with Jesus. Amen. But you know, listen, God called Pastor Trent to be a shepherd teacher at Gospel City Church for the last 13 years. You know what else Pastor Trent is really good at? Doing the work of an evangelist. 
When I met Trent, he was just coming out of life action. And you know what he was doing? The work of an evangelist. He was going into churches and he was taking that clear and bold and concise gospel into those places. And he was sharing that truth and preaching that truth. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, it was wrecking people who hadn't heard it. And then Trent got the heck out of there. And the shepherd teachers in that church had to do the work of building up and counseling and nurturing the people who were responding to the truth. That's really what God's calling Pastor Trent to now as he and Andrea go to family life. They're going to take that clear, concise, bold message of the gospel that we've fed on every single week, and they're going to get it into the ministries of marriages and families. And as that message goes out all over the place, and as marriages start to be healed, and as people start to respond to the truth, God will raise up shepherd teachers in those places to disciple and to nurture and to counsel and to help them. Do you see how it all works together? And do you see how sovereign God is when he moves the pieces along? All throughout history, God has been moving, calling, and providing the individuals with the gifting necessary to get the job of feeding and leading his body done. And so we can trust God has it all. Amen? Now, why does he provide these gifted individuals is the next question you should ask. Why does he call people to lead and feed his body? Let's look at verse 12. He calls them, he gave us these people to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. When the shepherds and teachers in the local church do their job, everyone begins to realize that they are called to full-time ministry. That's a terrible phrase because we're all in full-time ministry this side of heaven. We are all to give our lives for the Great Commission, for teaching others to follow Jesus, glorifying God as we make disciples. And when church leadership is serious about equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry, the entire body begins to glorify God through the gathering, through the growing, and through the going of the saints collected. A healthy church is not a few pastors doing all the ministry. A healthy church is an ever-growing generational vine of believers devoted to the teaching of God's word, embracing their identity in the body of Christ and using their unique and vital gifts for the glory of God and the building up of others. That's what Paul's saying. And that's hard to do to one another for the glory of God if you don't belong somewhere, if you're not known among the people of God. I was reading um, Pastor Warren Wearsby this week, and he writes this, the saints do not call a pastor and pay him to do the work. They call him and follow his leadership as he, through the word, equips them to do the job. The members of the church grow by feeding on the word and ministering to each other. And let me just speak practically about Gospel City Church for a moment. Um, Yes, we pay some pastors and leaders here. Uh, There's several pastors on staff and leaders, and we have elders, both paid and volunteer. Um, But I see the understanding of this in each one of them and the fruition of the growth of it in our church all the time. Uh, I've watched Pastor Brent step out of the way time after time after time to allow for younger disciples to preach the word in our youth ministry. 
I've watched him step out of the way and allow younger disciples do the work of the ministry. And he's equipping them along the way. Isn't that awesome? I've been in meetings where Pastor Tyler Downing describes some of the best nurturing and care happening in our church among small group leaders and from the flock leaders. I mean, there are people in our church who are serving one another by opening their homes, by sharing the good news of Jesus the best they can, by opening God's word and reading it and praying for one another and getting in mutual mutual ministry and holding one another accountable. Like this is happening. We're serving one another. We're um, giving to one another. We're buying meals and sending meals to one another. The saints are doing the work of the ministry. I've watched Pastor Nathan. If you don't know Pastor Nathan, he's like top-notch shepherd teacher. The man can nurture your soul. The man can help you if you're going through some struggles. And yet he doesn't do all the work on his own. He, he, he can't do it all on his own. And yet he's humble enough to train others. I've watched Pastor Nathan shepherd, train, and create a robust and effective biblical soul care ministry built on volunteer counselors. And the list could go on and on. But when pastors desire to equip the saints, the saints desire to do the work and God gets the glory and we all get to grow in the process. And I'll tell you what, I have grown a lot in the last 10 years by being a part of a group of pastors and a body who are interested in what God's word says and who are interested in serving one another. Why wouldn't you want to be a part of something like that if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ? Now, how's this growth happen? Okay, he gives these pastors, shepherds, leaders, teachers so that uh, he can equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. But what does growth practically look like? Point number two, God provides the growth as we embrace our role within the body. God provides the growth as we all embrace our role within the body. Disciples glorify, gather, grow, and go. But what does this growth look like? And I think Paul gives us um, four ways that we see growth happening in the remainder of this chapter. And so I'm going to give you four evidences of unified growth, okay? Four evidences of unified growth. If we're all in this together, then we're going to start to see some things happening in our lives as we follow Jesus and as we become more like Jesus. That's the first one. Four evidences of unified growth. Christ-likeness. Let's read it in verse 13. He's equipping us to do the work of the ministry, building up the body until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. You think about a body, we don't want to stay, our, we, don't, we don't want our children to stay malnourished and little and weak. We want them to grow up and to be equipped and to become more mature. We're growing them up into adulthood, into manhood. So what is the measure of that manhood that we as the body are growing up into, look at 13, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Jesus Christ is our example. I don't know if you know this or not, but man is sinful. Man is messed up. Man is broken. But you know what God did? He didn't leave us on our own to fend for ourselves in our helplessness and in our brokenness. God actually became a man. The God of the universe. He 
came down to our sinful and broken world and he was born as a baby, helpless, humble. He needed help. And he started to grow up in the brokenness of this world. And he was tempted just like you're tempted. He was tried like you're tried. But there was something about the God-man, Jesus. He was without sin. Jesus never sinned. The only man, the only human in all of history to never give in to temptation, to never stumble and fall. And Jesus, he took that perfection and he started to love people. And he started to tell people that there's a new kingdom coming. He started to say, follow me. And then man who's broken, they didn't like him so much. So they arrested him and they beat him and they spit on him. And they put a crown of thorns on his head and they made him carry a cross. And Jesus, he suffered, he was crucified, he died, and he was buried. The only innocent man in all of history. Mocked and laughed at and murdered by broken man, by broken human beings. But Jesus, he rose up from the grave. And he beat death. And he beats sin. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he appointed apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers and shepherds so that all throughout the world, and so that all these years later, we could know that God loves us and that we can follow him and that we can be built up in him and that he can give us a new heart and a new life and cause us to walk in his ways. God did that for you. And so our measure of maturity as the body of Christ has to be Jesus Christ. And when we unify ourselves together and take heed to what he has put in his word and start to serve one another and use our gifts to build up and edify one another, the first thing that happens is we will start to look more like Jesus. That's awesome. That's an evidence of the growth that comes when we find unity among the body of Christ. Here's the second evidence, doctrinal soundness. Doctrinal soundness. We've been talking a lot about doctrine here at Gospel City Church. Uh, the word soundness can be described as this, the quality of being based on valid reason or good judgment, the state of being in good condition, robustness. Uh, let's read verse 14. So we're growing up as the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ in verse 14, so that, this is the reason we're growing in Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Clearly in verse 14, Paul is talking about the body of Christ being rooted in sound doctrine able to discern and make wise judgments concerning all of the cunning and crafty truth claims that the world says is truth. And the maturing Christian will be able to discern those things. The maturing Christian should be able to, to discern what God has said, what his word has said, and what the world is saying. And it's our desire at Gospel City Church that every member, everyone who calls themselves a disciple is becoming a theo theologically robust, doctrinally sound disciple. Why? Because it will protect you. 
against the enemy. It will guard you in trial. It will make you a greater worshiper of Jesus. And when we do it together, we get to help one another. We serve one another. We become so much more than we could have ever on our own. And God gets glorified. The more unity, the more glorification goes to God. And so I have to use as an illustration our core classes. Maybe you're tired of hearing it. I'm pretty pumped about it. On September 12th, uh, core classes are starting. It's basically going to be like a theology 101 type class that you may have taken at Bible college or in a seminary. And for the first semester of core, it's going to be 11 weeks of lecture, reading, discussion around the core doctrines of God. Let me tell you why we're not doing it. We are not doing it so that we can have the smartest Christians here in Michiana. That's not why we're doing it. We're not doing it so that we can earn favor with God. Let me read you exactly what it says on the website. Our prayer for this class is that it would increase your knowledge to the infinite God so that you can know him more truly, love him more deeply, obey him more fully, and live a life that is glorifying to him. Can you imagine like the, the believers who have walked with the Lord for 20, 30 years in the same room as some of the new believers and we're taking in these deep doctrines of God and we're having discussion and the younger believers asking questions to the older believer and the older believers demonstrating humility and patience and they're praying together. That is soul transforming for everybody. Everyone comes, becomes more like Jesus in that. Everybody gets a deeper doctrine in that. And, and, and listen, we're doing this because we become like what we worship and you will never be able to worship what you do not know. And so the deeper you dive into the deep, deep well of all that God is, he will grow your capacity and your longing for him and your ability to worship him and glorify him and become like him. It's so important. There's, I, I read something this week that goes really well with verse 14, it's on the screen. I'm gonna attribute it to Mitch Helmkamp because if I don't know where it came from, he's getting the credit. Deep doctrine is like an anchor no matter what the world or Satan or your flesh throws at you. You will abide in Christ and not get sucked in. But if your doctrine is shallow, you will be like a child in 10 foot waves tossed to and fro, vulnerable to the lies of the enemy that come at you every day in a myriad of ways. And so doctrine is important. And when we learn it together, we're being built up as firm, rooted believers who can love one another and become like Jesus Christ. The third evidence of growth, unified growth is this, truth in love, truth in love. Verse 15, rather than being tossed to and fro, rather than giving into the deceitful schemes of the world, rather than being led astray by false doctrine, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. As we become more doctrinally sound disciples and as we become more like Jesus Christ in our growth, we grow in our understanding of truth and our ability to yield it in love. It's a mark of maturity when we are able to share the truth with our fellow Christians and do it in love. This doesn't come natural to us. 
is certainly not the way that the world and culture is trending. Many try to speak truth without love, and that will always lead to brutality. Some will try to love everybody and suppress the truth. That will always lead to hypocrisy. But when we learn to speak the truth in love, we grow up into the head of our body, which is Jesus Christ. He was a master at always giving the truth and yet always loving the recipient of that truth. That's what we are called to do. And that's not an easy thing. It doesn't come natural to us as children. And yet when we get in a small group context, when we get in a body of believers, you get some people around you who can say some hard things to you and it doesn't always feel good, but your soul needs it. And if you're humble and if, you're, if you receive it in a Christ-like way, it can start to transform you into the likeness of Jesus. Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Do you got some friends who can speak some faithful words to you in love? It's each member maturing, being strengthened, and working in tandem along with King Jesus. And then the fourth evidence of unified growth is this cooperation cooperation. He's been talking about this body. The head is Jesus Christ. We're growing up into Jesus Christ. And then verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We've got to realize that as members of the one universal body and as members of a local body, we belong to each other, we affect one another, we need one another. You are a necessary part here at Gospel City Church. Hear that today. Don't minimize your role here. I don't know if you're an arm, I don't know if you're a leg, I don't know if you're a liver, I don't know if you're a tendon, but you are super important. And when you're using your specific gift in love to serve the body, all of us get to grow. You think about a bodybuilder who's trying to equip himself and, and get stronger and grow up. He's going to have to do some squats and yet to build a foundation. And yet it's not so great to squat if you don't have a hip flexor that's firing right. So we need hip flexors in the body of Christ. You think about a, a bodybuilder, he has got to push some weight around, but that's not great if your rotator cuff's all out of whack. We need a rotator cuff in the body of Christ. There's some unseen parts that don't get a lot of glory, but man, they are super important to the equipping and the building up of the body. Just as a bodybuilder or an athlete needs their entire body working properly, the body of Christ is equipped, strengthened, and able to grow when we embrace the unity that we have been saved to belong to and serve under the headship of Christ. And we're not manufacturing this unity that we're talking about, that Paul talks about. God has already saved you and united us to his body. But it's our job as the people of God to protect and maintain the unity that Christ has called us to. And when we do it, we build ourselves up in love. We build each other up in love. Our church, Gospel City Church, it can be known by our love because of the way that we take heed to God's word and because of the way that we're committed to one another and we're serving one another 
and we're deepening our doctrine and becoming like Jesus and we're speaking truth and love to one another and he starts to make it all work together for his good. And when we do that, we will be faithful to what Paul called us to in Ephesians 4, 1 through 2, when he said, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. When, when the church gets unity, God gets glory. Our unique spiritual gifts will be maximized and we will grow into spiritual maturity. Amen?